This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is in Tafresh Sarihei, Rosh Chodesh Sivan. And what's different about this tshuva um, is that it seems to be a halacha l'ma'asa tshuva, um, not just an abstract discussion. Uh, we actually covered this tshuva in our first series, Esher Levuri, but as it's one of my favorite tshuva of Moshe, and I think really important, I'm happy with the occasion to look at it again, uh, and with fresh eyes, and um, and see what, see what emerges from it. So the first half of the tshuva, uh, which is what we focused on in the previous thing, was uh, let's talk about the facts first. The facts are, as as seems to emerge from the truva, is that a woman whose husband had been missing for many years received a letter from her brother, who is fairly far away, uh, saying that her husband had died, and she has a suitor waiting in the wings to marry her, who, it seems, may not wait for an extended verification process. Now, Hachmark was nervous about allowing the remarriage, um, because he, well, he first of all, he himself had not seen the letter. It was only a, the woman claimed that her brother had sent the letter, and he doesn't know um, the basis for the brother's claim that the uh, that the person had died. And he's nervous because they were apart for some time. So Moshe spends the first part of the triva explaining that the Beitin has no role in evaluating the um, the basis of the brother's claim. Um, all the Beitin has to know is that somebody said that the person died with certainty, and as long as the witness, even though right, this is a case where uh, Chazal make Xerah to believe people who wouldn't ordinarily be believed, right? otherwise obviously he'd be a relative, and this is hearsay, um, that in in those cases of Moshe says the Beitin has no discretion, their only job is to verify the um, the certainty of the claim, and then he goes through uh, another uh, stage to demonstrate that the brother's claim is treated as certain, so there are a number of moves he has to make. Once the Beitin has verified that the uh, witness whose testimony we will accept in the, uh, whose, whose testimony we will accept in this case is certain, the Beitin does not have to ask any questions, and in fact is not allowed to ask any questions um, beyond that in a case like this, because in a case like this, the a, a delay caused by a desire for verification may lose the woman uh, her match, and that makes her the equivalent of an aguna. So all that is, uh, all that is a very beautiful uh, expression of Rav Moshe's commitment uh, to be matir, even um, these cases which would not ordinarily, I think, be thought as long-term, uh, long-term igun. But he says that you know, when you have somebody who, um, right, who's been married previously, been unmarried for, been practically right, a grass widow, I guess, so to speak, for a long time. And has a suitor, you don't make them. Uh, you don't make them wait. But now we get to the heart of, um, right, of of this part. This part of the trivia. He says, "Gam ashakvasa kvotaraso, shekevan shekatavrama debizmanazed de nefishe chutzpa uprisusa, eno neman lamar bifnei balagirashtani the kal v'chomer hadvarem." So Rabbi Hachmark wrote that the Rama writes um, in Shulchan Aruch that even though the Gemara records a chazaka. That women will not um, dare be uh, brazen enough to claim in the presence of their husband that he divorced them. 
uh, and therefore a claim that you divorced me in the husband's presence is believed. So Ramal says, not nowadays. Um, nowadays, nowadays, because the nefishe chutzpah prisusa, where there's lots of there's lots of chutzpah, or um, she's no longer believed, uh, at least not lakula, uh, to say that. Now that principle itself, the Ramah is, uh, is based on Maram, I believe, which is itself subjected the shach uh, in verse Hanashim, I think, says that maybe the, the Maram was not making a claim about the women of his time generally, but was making a claim um, about a, the specific woman to whom he was speaking about the Truva, but let's treat it as the simple reading of Ramah is that nowadays that um, we no longer believe uh, women because that Chazaka no longer applies. Isra Chazaka is the phrase that uh, people use. Incidentally, right, this is just an obvious example that Chazakos are uh, socially dependent. Um, so, at least the, the legal impact of Chazakos is socially um, is, so, is socially dependent. But it's interesting, what does Bisman Hazem mean? So the Ramah writes Bisman Hazem, presumably referring to the 16th century and to his location, but he's quoting a Truva that comes from um, four centuries or so um, or so earlier. So what does Bisman Hazem mean? Um, so I guess what we'd say is you know, that we have the like, sort of a Chazaka, right? the Chazaka de Meikara, that the default setting is that if somebody claims that reality has changed, so that new reality is the reality until somebody claims that it's changed back. Um, so the Maram says, if we understand him, that nowadays the relationships between husbands or wives are not such that um, wives will be afraid or would just feel it socially inappropriate to claim that they are divorced when uh, in their husband's presence when they are not. Um, so that's that. That was true in the time of the Gemara. It's not true um, in the time of the Haram, and now it, um, and now it's, we, the Ramah presumes that ready that looks around, he doesn't see a rad, evidence of a radical social change back to the Gemara. Okay, but Rav Moshe says that Rabbi Hachmark said the Kalvachomer Hadvarim. Whatever Rabbi Hachmark is like, but he says the Kalvachomer Hadvarim applying to his case. So, what does Kalvachomer Hadvarim mean? So, it could be that Rabbi Hachmark is saying that if the Ramah says that we no longer believe women to say Gerashtani in the presence of their husbands, then the Ramah means that Kalvachomer, we no longer believe women to claim that their husband has died, which obviously, uh, right, we're not talking about a case of a woman claiming their husband has died in the presence of her husband, that would be kind of extreme. Um, but, right, so Kalvachomer, right, so there's no, right, there's not even the restraint on, um, on lying of the presence of the party you're attributing an action to. So if we don't believe women to say, Gerash Tani, uh, that you divorced me, so certainly we should not believe them to say that he is dead. Um, so if that's the argument that uh, Rav Achmark is making, Rav Moshe responds with a pretty straightforward claim, which is, wow, somebody should have said so. It's been... Um, it's been, you know, five centuries, all right, we're in the late 1890s, I guess, right? So it's in the, um, actually, sorry, we're in the, sorry, we're in the, we're in the um, 1930s. So it's, it's, um, it's pretty clear um, that, uh, right, that in the centuries between the Ramah and, uh, right, and us, right, four centuries or so, we should have, um, somebody should have said that we no longer believe women in this case, and the whole record of 
of all halakhic literature, nobody says that we don't believe women nowadays about the deaths of their husband because nefeshe pritsusa. If that's the case, Rav Moshe's argument is entirely correct. Um, right? In that case, Rav Moshe is, um, right, that's what Rav Moshe seems to attribute to Rav Mark, and his response is then a really good example. The first one we've really seen where he, uh, right, where he can genuinely, genuinely uh, he can say without fear of contradiction, I think, Here's what he says, right? You can't say that women aren't believed to uh, right when they say to say their husbands have died. It's obvious that uh, she's believed nowadays, so long as she doesn't have one of the specific invalidations that apply to women testifying in this particular case. Because Rama never made any comment against the Shulchan Aruch's claim. He makes it about Gerashtani, but the Ramah says nothing about Mesa Bavli. So obviously the Ramah agreed. So it's obvious the Ramah also held that she's believed. Nobody disagrees about this. So again, for the first time, I think we have the Shulchan Aruch says, and so far as I know, in fact, nobody other than Rehach Mark ever, um, ever disagreed. We find this obvious, obviously permitted, um, in that, um, in in the in various Shuvasachronim, and he says, look, and also, um, and really the cases are not comparable at all. So even even if I didn't have conclusive evidence from silence that nobody ever raised this objection, uh, it wouldn't make sense to say Kavachomer anyway. Um, because the uh, the case there, the specific the specific argument is um, is a case where the woman is contradicting her husband. Her husband says, "I didn't divorce you," and she says, "No, you did divorce me." So in that case, why would we believe her more than him? The only reason we believe her more than him is because we have this chazaka of a lack of chutzpah, and now um, right now we don't have that. But that's not the logic the Gemara uses um, in the case of of the case of, of mate Baal. The Gemara, the reason the Gemara uses there. Is that you don't say something which uh, can be easily disproven. The husband could show up alive, and you won't be able to contradict it, right? So that's what, right? So the the basis of the chazaka is entirely different. And if Rabbi Hachmark had actually meant what Rav Moshe actually meant, what Rav Moshe says he meant, which is that we can derive from the Ramah's position about Gerashtani on a kalvachomer that the Ramah would disagree. Uh, in the case of Mate Bali, then this would be a, a marvelous um, paradigm instance of something which, in fact, is Lonitan Lehemirkwal, and a really, a really um, powerful use by Rav Moshe of the phrase, and maybe a transition to, um, to using the phrase in a very rigorous sense. But it's not obvious to me uh, that's what Rabbi Hachmark meant. In fact, when I taught the Chuvah last time, it was obvious to me that Rabbi Hachmark didn't mean that. When Rehachmark says the Kalvachomer Hadvarim, I imagine right that he's a fine enough Talmud Chacham to realize that there's no Kalvachomer from Gerashtani Ani to Mesa to Mesa Anochi, and that to make up such a thing would be radical. What he means, I think, is that if the Ramah said in his time that there are so many Chatzifusa Upritzusa, let alone back to the Maram, and that was enough to override the Chazaka, which allowed Chazal to say, Gerashtani so Kalvachomer in his time, and remember we're talking about the uh, the um, pre-war uh, Soviet, uh, pre-World War II Soviet Union, 
uh, where there's really an enormous amount of um, ideological anti-religious right, anti, uh, anti rhetoric. Um, so he says, in our day, Kalvachomer, all chazakas which presume that people will be honest with religious authorities, no longer right, no longer apply. Um, certainly, like we're not going to relax the rules on the assumption that people wouldn't lie, uh, because when it comes to Beitin, there's enormous amounts of chutzpah and pretzus. And I imagine he said, "Look, there are women living without a get with with other people, right? That the whole system is breaking down." I think that the kalvachomer that Rabbi Hachmark is making is much more likely the uh, kalvachomer from the time which was ref- referred to as Bismanazeh in the Ramah to his time. And then he makes a second move, which is to say, well, now that it's Kalvachomer, so right, if the Ramah was, was willing to say that in his time we don't eat right, we don't believe women about Gerashtani Ani, so the relationship, the credibility has eroded to a point where we can say Kalvachomer, we don't believe women now on um, when they claim that they are unmarried. Um, so the question is whether, first of all, again, I don't have a Hachmark Hachmark um, in any form other than the way Rav Moshe presents it. Rav Moshe seems to be quoting, and the quote he says is a Kalvachomer Hadvarim. Um, and it could be that Rav Moshe absolutely, uh, it could be that A, Rav Moshe understood Rav Hachmark correctly, and it could be that even Rav Moshe understood Rav Hachmark uh, incorrectly, but he understood, but his um, his response is solely aimed at his understanding of Rav Hachmark. Um, what I would prefer to say, but I can't demonstrate it, is that Rav Moshe is reacting against the possibility, not the argument, but the possibility of claiming that we would no longer believe women who say that their husband has died, um, let alone believing you know the other uh, witnesses who are not formally credible uh, in cases like that. I don't know if he thinks it specifically. I don't know if Rav argument applies specifically to the to the wife or not. Maybe it applies to the brother as well. Um, and Ramosha thinks that the, right, the Chazal made this Takana not, right, they had an argument, they had a Svara for believing people in this case, but they also had a moral imperative, which is otherwise we'll have lots of women wandering around um, as Agunas forever because you're simply not going to get two witnesses testifying uh, that the husband died uh, in our presence, right, you'd have to get ready if we're, if we're talking about formal or in the presence of a Beitin uh, right, two Jewish, male, Orthodox, right? Where, where, how are you going right, to? How are you, you going to get that? So the social consequences are horrific. Um, as opposed to Gerish Tani, right? So just tell the husbands write another get. Um, so I I think that Rav Moshe's underlying claim here about let me tell the Hamer is a moral claim. Right? You can't say things like that, or at least I'd like to argue you can't say things like that because the truth is even saying things like that. Uh, will create an atmosphere of fear that will make people afraid to allow women to remarry because somebody else will, um, right? I think Rav Moshe is aware that you can, uh, but you can poison the well. You have a chilling effect uh, just by saying, "I'm not sure." This seems to me like a possibility. So I would rather read Rav Moshe that way. That his his reaction is not to the formal argument Rabbi Hachmark makes, but to the but he thinks the conclusion. Uh, is impossible, and he thinks the conclusion is impossible because it doesn't square with halacha as the way he understands it, um, which you know, goes out of its way to say we can't have lots of women wandering around that way, and then I'd argue that you know, that in his particular context, 
um, where I think um, men are already disappearing to uh, to labor camps and other places like that, so that would have a particularly uh, radical effect. And then you could argue sociologically that in, in an environment where the bonds of religion are enormously weakened, and all of a sudden you have you have a uh, a massive new aguna problem, that the effect on orthodox culture uh, would be unbearable. So I would like to say that that's what Rav Moshe means by Devarshin and Tan This is something that you really can't say here. Um, but I have to admit that the Rav Moshe can be read more simply as a claim that Rav Hachmark's argument is simply impossible. Uh, even so, um, right, this is this is the first case where we see Rav Moshe use the phrase about an argument that is genuinely impossible. It really is not possible to say, I think, that the Ramah meant that as opposed to in his dialogues with Rebbe uh, Kantrowitz, and I wonder um, whether that's because this is a, an actual Lama'asa case, and that means, I, and that Rav Moshe's use of the phrase will be different uh, when he's arguing um, Halach Lama'asa in a concrete case. Really, there are three kinds of contexts, arguing Halach Lama'asa in a concrete case, arguing Halach Lama'asa but abstractly, and arguing solely about Pshat and the Gemara. Um, so I'm wondering whether we can see Rav Moshe uh, over time that Rav Moshe develops a more consistent um, uh, use 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 of the phrase in these various con- in these various contexts. Thank you, and we'll see you next episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 